It's a Wonderful Life, coming up next. Haven't Seen It, with Tim Sestito and Tommy Tevenet. Hello, everybody. Welcome on in. Thank you all so much for listening today. This is a podcast where one of us is watching a movie for the very first time. And today is Tommy's first time ever watching It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. Does your heart feel three times larger than it did? You know? Oh, yeah. Exactly. I exactly end up like the Grinch right here. Uh, Somehow I missed out on this Christmas classic, even though they play it like every fucking year because this movie is now in public domain. So it's just like constantly on tv <laughs> yeah i mean we'll dive into like how it was kind of a bomb at the at when it came out which is surprising it's to insane. me yeah uh because i mean it's just uh it's a terrific it's a it's a flawless movie I, in my opinion i just i think it's uh it's one of those movies that like i was saying last week it's it's in the diehard realm of not really a christmas movie but mm-hmm. thematically it's very christmas which is crazy because this is known as one of the most like famous Christmas movies, and like because this movie's in public domain, like almost so many Christmas movies just have the characters watching this in the background and shit like that. So I figured this is gonna be a lot more like Christmas oriented, but it's more just like a life story. <laughs> it's a life story, and it's like it's very family oriented. It's very about like what the season is about. Mm-hmm. That's the 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 theme of it. Where like Die Hard takes place, the whole thing takes place on Christmas Eve, but there's not even an ounce of christmas themes in in that movie you know what i mean it's not a it's the backdrop (laughs) like at work we did a tier list of christmas movies and die hard was on the on the list and i was like that's an s tier movie but it's an a tier christmas movie because like thematically it's not really relevant as a christmas movie did you at least have Lethal Weapon on the list too? Or is that uh no, we, forgot about that? <laughs> no, we just made a I suggested it, but it was like we found like a random one that was made online. It was like mm-hmm. between a 25 movie list and like a 62 movie list. And we're like, oh, let's go for the 25 movie list. <laughs> yeah, let's not go too high up this. Let's not make it too fucking difficult. <laughs> yeah, I think if we picked the 63 tier um Christmas list, it would have been uh particularly brutal. But yeah, yeah it was uh it's a Wonderful Life, one of my all-time favorite Christmas movies. I watch it every year with my mother. I will end up watching it again before the holidays are done. I don't actually have a TV spot for this that I normally play where we introduce a movie because um, this movie came out in 1947, and uh, I think the television was just starting at that point. So this is like by far the oldest movie we've covered on the pod. I mean, uh, the previous record holder would probably be Dr. Strangelove, right? Or... Yeah, it was Dr. Strangelove was the previous record holder for oldest movie we covered. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I know you haven't seen Casablanca, so we'll end up doing that inevitably. That'll probably be the oldest unless you want to dive into Chaplin and stuff like that. Like maybe we'll get there, but yeah eventually yeah yeah down down the line. But yeah, I mean, uh, this movie was also I remember my dad saying it was one of his favorite movies, but somehow. He never made me watch it as a kid, so uh, I don't know how that ended up. But <laughs> I mean, it's I think it's it's one of those uh, movies that, like, as a kid, you're probably not going to appreciate, but as an adult mm-hmm. and as a man, like, you'll learn to to appreciate it. It's mm-hmm. um, the plot of it is that George Bailey he never prioritizes himself; he prioritizes everybody else in his town. 
he gives up his dreams to stay at home and not make sure Mr. Potter was mm-hmm. played by Drew Barrymore's grandfather, by the way. Mm-hmm. Drew Barrymore's grandfather. Oh, what's his name? Oh, um, Lionel. Li- Lionel Barrymore. Mm-hmm. Um, from basically taking over the town and um, his uncle Billy misplaces $8,000 on Christmas Eve that needed to go to the bank and they're going to get possessed and George is going to get arrested and he decides that it's worth it to throw his life away for a $500 life insurance policy and it turns out life would have been a lot worse without a minute yeah it is funny like looking back at how old this movie is now where like you know you hear the like figures we just said like $500 $8,000 and like you know, obviously in today's money, that's like, oh, that's nothing. Whatever, five hundred dollars would have helped at all. But like, what five hundred dollars in like nineteen forty two money would probably be what, like close to like a hundred k or something like that. <laughs> yeah, it would be significantly more than what. I mean, all right, Mister Moneybags over there. Like, I would still t- gladly take eight thousand dollars, or if I had yeah, to yeah, yeah, exactly eight thousand dollars, still it'd still be a problem. Well, it is funny, like you know, when uh, looking at this modern lens, where like you hear Mr. Potter at one point like offer George Bailey a salary of like twenty k, and like you think uh, you think twenty twenty two, mind you're like, oh, that's awful. What the fuck? Like, why'd you take that? And like he literally you know, drops and, and... his cigar. He's like, twenty thousand dollars. <laughs> oh, oh God! Oh, oh, jeez! And it's like it's like oh, come on! Like if that's twenty twenty two, it's like this guy's such a fucking Scrooge. But in that today, and that money. It would be literally like 300k. Uh, so that's just like how much inflation's fucked us over over the years. Yeah, that would have been nice. And like when they make the run on the bank during the depression at the mm-hmm. loan, and you know, oh come on, can you tell me a little bit about how much do you need to get by until we can get the money from the bank? Twenty dollars? We'll get you over for the week. Okay, it's like what? <laughs> like how did that stretch out that much? It, it blows my mind when I think about like inflation more and more because it's one of those things I love doing when watching like even 80s movies where I just look up the calculator like literally like midway through and I'm like oh fuck like yeah even even watching like that movie waiting from like 15 years ago when like a character's like oh I got a 45k salary right out of college and it's just like oh back then that was actually like pretty good <laughs> that was incredible yeah, yeah. I, I remember in Mad Men it, they were talking about like one of the guys wanted a raise or whatever and it's like yeah you make 200 a week plus drinks and it's like then you like pull up 1960 inflation calculator you're like oh <laughs> okay that's a lot yeah. of money back then. That this is how I contextualize uh, fucking history, just through inflation calculators. <laughs> Tell so, me where your priorities are, Tommy. You only think of it through the dollars, through the uh, dirty fucking money through my hands. But uh, you know, t- I, I think I mentioned this on the pod before, but I'm not always like the biggest fan of older movies. Um, so, but this one, I think, really just like is a whole different other tier than like typical other older movies. Like for example, I think I mentioned before that like I've seen Frankenstein for the first time last year. And I remember being bored out of my mind where like they just shot that statically like a play. And obviously this is before they involved a score in a movie and Frankenstein, like, well, obviously it's a classic because like for the time and, you know, in the moment of the thing, but it just aged so poorly. But this one, Frank Capra is such a great director. And like the cinematography for this movie is just so amazing. That's just like, they go from shot to shot to shot and just like really change up the camera angles right here. And it makes it almost feel slightly in a modern lens and slightly like still holds up in that uh, angle right there. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. I, my, my favorite shot in the whole movie is when, um, you know, Clarence has snapped his fingers and, you know, George mm-hmm. Bailey has never been born and he goes to his mother's house. Um, and it's Ma's bail, Ma Bailey's um, like, uh, you know, boarding house or whatever. And she turns him away and just like, 
the shadows over his face when he like just and it's like he looks at the camera directly like mm. he breaks the fourth wall which 1947 that's pretty revolutionary they didn't do that in 1947 mm. and just like it's like that moment of dread that like just is encapsulated on the screen mm. it's really powerful and like the way capra moves the camera the way he's like using it he's making he's making a film it's not a static play like a lot of those earlier movies are plays like i've seen a few chaplin movies i will give someone like chaplin a lot of credit like he's very creative with it and especially in silent movies you have to be much more engaging for your movies to to hold up in that mm. aspect of of it but yeah frank capra's one of the great classic directors of hollywood i mean this movie almost tanked him because they thought he couldn't make a popular movie anymore after this yeah. one came out and bombed like it, it only what's what's so shocking is that like you know the cinematography especially is that like fucking like there were apparently three different cinematographers throughout the whole entire shoot of this movie uh two of them were fired by fucking frank capper during filming where it was just like one guy was fired early on most of his footage was reshot and he didn't receive any credit and the other guy, uh, Joseph Walker, was supposed to be the main director of photography until he refused to reshoot a, lean of, uh, reshoot a scene with a different lighting as requested by Capra more than halfway through the film. So Capra said, fuck it, you're off. And then he went to that guy's assistant, Joseph A. Uh, Barack, and asked him if he could accomplish the reshoot of the scene with the lighting that he wanted. And then that guy took it over, and he was the third thing. So with three cinematographers still, that has a minor lens, which just still holds up, honestly. So it's shocking. I think what really makes this story hold up is that it's just, it's about a, a man's life. Like you mm -hmm. get to know everything about George Bailey mm -hmm. when it starts with him as a kid working in the, um, the pharmacy and uh, mm -hmm. the pharmacist loses his son and he's about to give the pills to like that. He accidentally poisoned to a, a sick child and George recognizes that and stops him and, it, and, you know, basically saves his life. Mm -hmm. The, the barkeep Martinelli, he gets him out of Pottersville, where all the poor shanties live and allows him to live the American dream, start his own bar. It, I think what makes it pay off in that sense is that it's a lot of it's all set up and then it all pays off at the end. And like the last 20 minutes of the movie, when you see the impact that he had and then the people pouring into his house to give him the money. Right. Like it, it just it builds so much because that ending is such like a heart throb and then when george finally mm. is like I, I dear god like i want to live i don't want to die and then he mm. runs through the streets screaming merry christmas and he goes home and sees his wife and his kids and everybody in the town coming in it's like he truly did have a wonderful life it it's a real emotional payoff that like they build in throughout i mean this movie i didn't expect it to have like a two hour and like 10 minute runtime and at first when i first saw that i was like Oh God, how much of a like dread is this bug gonna be? But it didn't really feel like that, honestly. I mean, it really just the flow was really good in there, and like you know, even though it went through pretty much the whole life of this one character, which sometimes can be a little bit dreadful when watching a movie where it's just like, okay, you could have cut this or cut this, but honestly, they all make it pay off. I would have figured that the movie when uh, before I saw this would have had more to do with the angel, and like that would have been a bigger part of this movie because like you know, this is something that gets referenced in pop culture all the time. Yeah. Like there was a Bugs Bunny version, there was a Muppet version, which we'll talk about later. But <laughs> I mean, well, it's a Christmas Carol kind of. It's it takes its own spin on uh, on a Christmas Carol. Um, and yeah, not not that far off. <laughs> I, well, it does the ghost to Christmas past kind of thing, but it, it does the 
does it differently in terms of like Scrooge is not the protagonist. Like Scrooge is in this. P- Potter is Scrooge, mm. but you take it from the perspective of of somebody standing up to Scrooge. So you just yeah. kind of twist it on its head a little bit. Which is why the FBI thought that this was a communist film, apparently, back in the 40s. <laughs> you could thank Louis B. Mayer for that. Yeah, exactly. So apparently, like, the FBI issued a memo in, like, 1947. With regard to the picture, It's a Wonderful Life, stated in some that the film represented rather obvious attempts to discredit bankers by casting Lyle Barrymore as a Scrooge type to be the most hated man in this picture. This, according to these sources, is a common trick used by communists. <laughs> so that's like how much it was it's the fact that with the haze code and everything and like all that stuff the house of un-american activities or it's just like it's shocking some of the stuff got through in this movie and like you know that like lionel barrymore was treated as a villain because i felt like you know, obviously the government didn't like that <laughs> that's what we did just said right there no of course they didn't we're covering two movies th- this year with lethal weapon and this one where you're just like how did the government let this get released huh like this one <laughs> much less so than like uh lethal yeah. weapon where lethal weapon it was like yeah, former CIA operatives sneak heroin into the country. That released in the 80s. And you're like, hmm, that's not that That, that tracks. <laughs> that tracks. That tracks for sure. Yeah, yeah that, that tracks. And this one is just like, oh, a banker's a piece of shit. Who would have thought? <laughs> who who could have guessed? No. Yeah. <laughs> no. And that's well, the other apparently... thing that holds up, too, is that like it's like the villain of it is like there still are villains, right? Like there's still yeah. people do not like bankers. He's still equally a piece of shit as he was like back in the 40s. So um, apparently this was during the era of the Hayes Code, where apparently one of the things in the Hayes Code was that like your villain need to have like comeuppance at the end where like the villain needs to show payoff. And they didn't really have a payoff of Porter like, I don't know, getting like fucking beat up by the townsfolk or something. What do you think would have happened to him by the end of this movie? <laughs> Nothing would have happened to him. The guy didn't age a day in 30 years. Uh <laughs> He just lives off. The it's all that money. Children. Yeah, he's just all that money. <laughs> just he's, bathing in money. <laughs> he's bathing in money, and it's really funny that they thought it was a communist film because Capra was a conservative who rallied against FDR uh, during uh, the Depression, and um, apparently his religious views that he was a Christmas Catholic. <laughs> oh God! So, yeah, th- so that makes that makes sense for uh, for uh, this movie why he ended up being the director of it. And like it ultimately comes down to you know George's love for for Mary and and his wife um, and that relationship and like how powerful of a connection they have because he wasn't going to tell her what went wrong, but she just like innately knew that mm. something was wrong with with George and I think uh, they have just terrific chemistry together um donna reed and james stewart who are just fantastic i i mean i love james stewart like what a one of the great golden age actors of hollywood for sure one of the great leading mans of all time yeah it's one of those things that, like you know i've never seen this movie obviously but like his voice is just so famous that like you know you've probably heard this and like i've probably heard this in, like bugs bunny cartoons or something like that or like you know all pop culture like family guy reference like a james stewart kind of voice before and stuff like that so when i heard the voice i almost started laughing because i was like I, I didn't realize he actually spoke like this. <laughs> and I think one of the, the great interactions that they have is the first one where they're walking home from the prom and um, George makes Mary a promise. Mary, I know what I'm going to do tomorrow and the next day and next year and a year after that. I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet and I'm going to see the world. 
Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. Then I'm coming back here and go to college and see what they know. And then I'm going to build things. I'm going to build airfields. I'm going to build skyscrapers a hundred stories high. I'm going to build bridges a mile long. Were you going to throw a rock? Hey, that's pretty good. What'd you wish, Mary? Buffalo gals, can't you come out tonight? tonight can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? Buffalo gals, can't you come out tonight? Dance by the light of the moon. What'd you wish when you threw that rock? Oh, no. Come on, no. tell me. If I told you, it might not come true. What is it you want, Mary? What do you want? You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Hey, that's a pretty good idea. I'll give you the moon, Mary. I'll take it. I think you could just see like the chemistry kind of play off of them together, like really, really flawlessly in that scene. One of the classic lines of this movie is, you want the moon, Mary? I'll throw a lasso around it and I'll, I'll pull it down for you. I, I was thinking like where I've seen that before because I feel like that was like Bruce Almighty or something. You know? Oh yeah, you've definitely seen it. It's this is a movie that's been parodied to death. Yeah. Um, which makes me happy that you seem to have like seen through it. Like, you know what I mean? Where it's like yeah. you weren't it wasn't pop culture osmosis in your head. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. it wasn't just like, oh, okay, this is this part of the movie, this is that yeah. part of the movie. Um, but it has this real genuine like appreciation for community and mm. and like standing up for people that can't stand up for themselves because it feels like George Bailey could have been something different, been something more, right? Like that's that's yes. his inner conflict is that he, you know, in this clip, he's a 22-year-old man saying what he's going to do. He's going to travel the world. He's going to go to college and he's going to build skyscrapers. That's what he wants to do with his life. And then right after that scene, his father dies, and he has to stay there. So Changes that, everything. So that the uh, the um, the old uh, bank and loan doesn't close its doors. And even though he mm -hmm. hates spending his time in there, he he does, and um, yeah, he does it to to protect you know the people of of his town, of his hometown of Bedford Falls. I mean, it really just shows like how much of a man of character he is. But uh, going back to that scene we just played, like this, their chemistry just bounces off, and like the acting of this still holds up. Where like you know, sometimes when you watch like old movies, where it's just like, oh god, this is so hammy and so hokey, just like, oh god, like, this this is terrible right here. But the acting feels natural and like very uh, naturalistic. But um, I did like in their little meet cute right there where they're talking about stuff and how the whole entire thing of like her being in the robe and like her robe coming off, and I was like, I'm shocked that this got through in like fucking 1947 censors. I felt like that would have been something that like. The Hayes Code would have been like, this is too risky. Come on, well, don't, don't well, play that. Well, they don't <laughs> show an ounce of skin on her. To be fair, she, yeah, they don't. The, the robe comes off, and then she's in a bush. And yeah. you know on the editing table, there's a shot of, like, a shoulder or something, or a leg or something that probably did not get through the Hayes Code. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where, like, if they showed even, like, a little bit of her foot, it'd be like, too much. You gotta cut that out. <laughs> you, gotta cut, you gotta cut that out. Are you kidding me? A woman's skin? You crazy, man? How dare you? Uh, but you know, it, it was it just felt like really uh, funny. It was like one of those things. Where I was just like, "This is great right here." <laughs> I, I would love to show the men that wrote the Hayes Code what OnlyFans is, and just to get their reaction. <laughs> just like not even that. Just like show them fucking basic instinct. <laughs> yeah, just like, show them basic instinct. This is where <laughs> this movies is, go. 
Yeah, this is where movies end up like 40, 50 years later, asshole. <laughs> 50 Shades of Grey, just show them it. Watch them <laughs> yeah. like want to kill themselves. Be like, oh, the de- uh, indecency, the morality, how how dare they? <laughs> yeah. For real, very un-Christian, very anti-Catholic <laughs> values. That Paul Verhoeven wouldn't have been their guy. <laughs> yeah, no, they, they, would, they would not have appreciated RoboCop, let's put it that way. <laughs> exactly. But I think it's it's just it's a great family movie, right? Like this is the one that you'd want to watch with your mom. Like this is, mm. I mean, that's what I do. It's, I think it's just mm. it's just it's a really well made movie um, from that time, um, you know. And Frank Capra, you know, what he is, Mister Smith goes to Washington. Um, it happened one night. These were the Academy Award nominated ones. Um, Lady for yeah. a Day, Mr. Deeds goes to town, lost. All, all, all movies we could cover because I have not seen any of them. <laughs> yeah, I ha- also have not seen most of them. I think if we were going to cover any two of them, it's probably uh, Mr. Smith goes to Washington and it happened one night. I think those are the two that have still kind of h- held up yeah. comparatively to uh, the other movies on this list uh because you know that is a part of the these older movies some of them do not hold up exactly some of them are just like dreadful words uh but you know uh, we you talked earlier about the academy um like uh, academy awards and stuff like that it's shocking this movie was nominated for like five oscars but it won none of them which feels bizarre <laughs> yeah i feel like james stewart could have easily won the oscar i mean but i don't, I don't remember i don't know who was definitely up for the other oscars at the time but it seems like it wouldn't make sense <laughs> yeah it it, he should have won an Oscar. I mean, he's won. A, he won Oscars, though. It's not like he never won an Oscar before. Um, but it, it, the movie just wasn't financially successful at the time. It made it had a budget of three point three million, and it made three point one, or had a budget of three point one eight. It made three point three, and when you account for marketing and all that stuff, mm-hmm. the, the break-even point is usually like double that. So, like, it needed to make six million dollars. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just the fact that it ended up in the pop, the public domain. Like this movie's on Amazon. You can watch it for free whenever you want. It's in color, which I would highly recommend against watching the version in color. Yeah, I watched the black and white version. I, I made sure because you said that last week. Um, I, I Yeah, I would have been very <laughs> disappointed if you watched it in color because it's not going to look the same. Like it's going to look wonky. Different, different vibe. It would have been like more, a little more hokey, I imagine. Um, so apparently, one of the reasons why this bombed, but there's this is one of the theories out there that uh, seven years earlier, James Stewart uh, was in a movie called um, "It's a Wonderful World," and audiences were, were probably confused at the time that like very similar title right there is like, oh, it's just the release of the movie from like seven years ago. I mean, you know, obviously they didn't have the internet back then, so you couldn't fact check that, and people would be like, oh, I already saw that James Stewart picture. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm always. I'm always interested by it because like, if you look at the, um, the I'm trying to get the critical response here. It's like they are saying the weakness of this picture from this reviewer's point of view is the sentimentality of it. It's a loser, illusory concept of life. I'm like, isn't that like that's like the selling point of it? Yeah, in a it's like the sentiment. Yeah, yeah, it, it's so funny that like this didn't get like the best reviews at the time. I mean, it, like I said, it wasn't made for some Oscars, but some critics were so fucking just like, I don't know. I guess they just hated all the uh, heart of this movie. <laughs> and I mean, it's on the American Film Institute's top 100 movies of all time. I think it's number 20 on that mm-hmm. list. Like, 
it's clearly gotten the recognition it deserves over time. But at the time, it just, it must have not, it just, I, I guess, because it came out right after World War II, like mm. they, people weren't sentimental for a simpler time. Yeah. In that yeah, like, era. I, I, I guess in the era, it was just like, oh, come on, like, do we really need all this, like, you know, bullshit right here? <laughs> it was a very earnest movie. <laughs> and one wonder if the FBI was paying these reviewers off for bad reviews. <laughs> no, seriously. Hey, like, this is a, this is a communist movie, and we need to make sure that like you know this gets bad reviews and people don't see this. That's why I bombed. That, that's the real reason why I bombed. The FBI had a part in it. That's my conspiracy theory of the week. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I'm here for it. Um, <laughs> is that our new segment, conspiracy theory of the week? <laughs> yeah. Do you want to know another movie conspiracy theory I heard? Um, that what? the CIA in the 80s went the rise of gang violence. They wanted in movies for the depiction of gunshots to oh, be, I, like I that would be, be sideways yeah. like that because yeah. it's such a poor way to actually just fire your weapon to fire your weapon so if you're a gang member and you think it's cool to hold your gun sideways and fire you're going more than likely to miss because you're not aiming the gun properly <laughs> so like obviously it popularized in hollywood and then like people try to do that in real life it's like this is not going to work out whatsoever i believe it i can totally believe it gun violence dropped apparently because of it so <laughs> yeah, hollywood doing some good apparently uh so i have one question for you mm-hmm. pottersville looks so much more fun right pottersville pottersville right like, I mean, <laughs> it had, like, a strip club in it. Like, like is that your strip, thing, Tommy? No, it had, like, strip club. It had fucking bars. It had, like, fucking nightlife. And, like, you know, whereas, like, you know, Bedford Falls just looked like a boring old, like, suburban town. <laughs> when I was watching this, I was like, yeah, I mean, I guess it's probably not the best for everyone. But, like, I don't know. I would have had more fun in Pottersville, personally. You Pottersville. Wanna, but you wouldn't want to live in Pottersville. I mean, I don't know. I live near a nightlife city. <laughs> I also live near a, a nightlife city too. Um, actually, live in I actually live in a nightlife city. So, but I wouldn't want to raise my kids in Pottersville. That kid Schmidt's. <laughs> all right, Tommy, you're really just you're all right, Potter over there. My God, <laughs> I, I, I'm apparently pro pro Potter. Apparently, <laughs> yeah, he's num he's uh, number six on AFI's uh, hundred years, a hundred heroes and villains. It's the number six villain of all time. So you're really empathizing with with the villains like do you like are you do you root for the shark and jaws um i'm apparently pro fbi is what i'm figuring out right now nice i was on the fbi side of this movie apparently yeah apparently you're like this communist <laughs> crap here yeah how dare they they break down mr potter do you see what he had for the city his ideas were great <laughs> his ideas were great there was a strip club <laughs> that's all they needed that's is that all the town was missing tommy was a strip club yeah. if they just had a strip club in the regular old in regular old bedford falls i, 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 can't, I can't even speak to it because honestly i've never been to a strip club in my life <laughs> really yeah not once you're not missing out on anything to be honest that, with you that's a that's a haven't seen it right there <laughs> that's a true have are you saying you haven't seen what's in a strip club tommy do you have something you need to reveal <laughs> let's leave it at that Let's just, let's just let's just leave it at that. I am a star. I'm a star. I'm a star. I'm a star. I am a big, bright, shining star. Tommy, who is the star of "It's a Wonderful Life"? Uh, the guy whose life is wonderful, uh, James Stewart. <laughs> George Bailey, the richest man in Bedford Falls. 
Easily. Yeah. I mean, uh, there wouldn't be really much of another choice. I mean, Lyle Barrymore is a good villain, but he's obviously a secondary character in, in the movie. I mean, this movie is basically anchored by James Stewart's performance. It wouldn't work without him. Oh, no, it wouldn't. And it's it's really like an all-time performance. And it blends that traditional line and that mo- and like somehow remains contemporary in its performance. Um, mm-hmm. I think part of it, too, is also like the score of it. Like the score is very muted. It's not that very traditional like movie score from that time of like fully orchestrated. You know, it's very simple. Um, it's like kind of unnoticeable, but I think it works in this movie's like to this movie's benefit. Right. I, I don't yeah. sit there and think, oh, yeah, I want to put on the soundtrack from It's a Wonderful Life. Right. Like that's not what this yeah. movie is. No, no, not at all. Yeah, exactly. It's not one that you like gonna go back and listen to all the time. <laughs> Donna Reed, I thought she had a fantastic performance. Um, oh, where's Clarence? Oh, Henry Travers is Clarence. Like he was also a great performance. Just his very like is very simple, very like wise old man. It was shocking that he wasn't in the movie that much because, like, you know, it's the big thing that the like, takeaway from the movie is the whole Clarence like subplot. And I would have figured that he played a huge part, but he's only on screen for maybe fifteen minutes throughout the whole movie. Yeah, I mean, it opens with him as a star. Like, Tommy, I know for a fact when that movie opened with just, like, the stars, like, like pulsating, you were like, Jesus, what did Tim sign me up for here? Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. There is I, no I was, shot was like, that was not your original thought. I was, I was like, what the fuck is this framing device right here? I hate this shit. Like, this shit. That's very of the, t- the time. Yeah, yeah. So I saw that. I was like, oh, God. Like, what, two, there's two hours left? Fuck. <laughs> just watching the clock. And then... You definitely didn't expect the movie to end just like this. Right in the middle of it, as soon as I got Mary's telegram. Good idea, Ernie, a toast. <laughs> to my big brother, George, the richest man in town. It was a great ending, and I think that like I've seen that ending before because I'm pretty sure that popped up in another movie of like a character watching it. Um, I mean, I forget the movie off the top of my head right now. It's been in Christmas so many. It's been it's been in so many movies that it's, it's like, hard. It's hard to count. Yeah, actually, I love in. I think it's in Home Alone. They're watching it in like Spanish that, when they're in Miami. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but that that ending is like is all time. Um, I remember in um, I don't know if you you listen to Unspooled, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, so they covered this movie on it, and they had the actress who was the daughter at the time, mm-hmm. like on talking about being the daughter and like what she remembers for it, and just like her total appreciation for having that moment in her life, like which is now still shared like by millions of people every year. They almost made a sequel in 2015 called "It's a Wonderful Life: The Rest of the Story," and it was going to have her back, uh, Zuzu, um, and she teaches. Bailey's evil grandson, how different the world would have been if he had never been born. And they're thinking of doing it. And thankfully, they uh, 
just never have took development past that because that yeah. would sound like it'd be awful. Oh, that I sounds mean, that sounds like trash. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what's shocking about it, because this is an old movie, obviously, at this point. This is what, 1946, 1947. Um, and the last surviving adult character in this movie, Ruth, only died back in August. So it's just like stain power right there. It's just like very shocking. <laughs> yeah, I mean that is the weird thing now of watching these really old movies is that like you're like watching it and you're like oh pretty much everybody's dead <laughs> dead 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 dead, 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 dead but dead, like even dead. when we were born like anybody yeah. that was over the age of 50 when they were cast in that movie dead yeah exactly i mean well james stewart died in like what 98 i think or something yeah um so capra died in 94 and he was like uh he was like 94 or something like that like he had a he had a wonderful life yeah seriously as a as a christmas catholic they uh made a remake of this apparently in the 70s uh it was like 1977 and orson wells was mr potter and that version has been lost to time (laughs) so it's like the the star wars holiday special it's just lost to time yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it apparently got initial reviews, but it has not been rebroadcasted or issued to home media whatsoever. People are just like, yeah, let's just forget about this one. <laughs> let's just watch. Let's just watch the good version of it. <laughs> yeah, but... I'm I'm only curious about how drunk Orson Welles was on that set. That's really <laughs> all I'm curious about. If we're because this was during that that, that set uh, that stretch where he was just drunk every time in Japan or ever. <laughs> yeah, this is like during that uh, that infamous uh, champagne commercial he does, where he looks so bloated and he's just clearly sauced up and it's it's one of those funny commercials whenever that pops up uh yeah. orison we haven't covered you haven't seen citizen kane right never seen citizen i, I have not seen any orson wells movie so okay we're, <laughs> we're definitely doing citizen kane um i think that's another one that still holds up casablanca is another one that still holds up i mean citizen kane is still considered by many to be the greatest film ever made um in mm-hmm. terms of its like importance and its place in time and history like for what it did for movies going forward in terms yeah. of the production and for some reason i was like yeah i don't need to see it <laughs> i watched it i haven't seen it in like a decade it's been a while since i've watched citizen king mm. so it, yeah it's another another great classic movie that we will schedule and we'll pencil it in i add it to the list of uh ongoing movies so <laughs> <laughs> that that Excel document that we definitely keep up with, we definitely use that to house all. There's like there's like a brief stretch in September where like I kept notes of movies that like I haven't seen. That. I was like, well, maybe we should cover on the pod. I remember one of them was the holiday, which we covered last week. And after that, I was like, ah, fuck it. Like, what? <laughs> usually, what happens on this movie is that we'll be talking either during recording or in a group chat with our friends, and be like, we haven't seen that one. And like, our friends will be like, oh my god, you guys gotta cover that one. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah and then i'll suggest something pretentious be like tommy let's do nashville you're like no no i don't, I don't want to do that <laughs> yeah i mean that's why we haven't covered maholan drive yet <laughs> we'll get there i showed one of our friends who was like very anti-david lynch yeah that movie and he was like he texted me three days after he's being was like i can't stop thinking about that movie i think it's a great movie like i i can't believe what kind of movie that is yeah so so yeah, we'll cover Mulholland Drive season two coming up. We're recording on the one year anniversary of the first release of our first episode, Home Alone Two. Please yeah. do not check it out; it's a terrible episode. We've it's gotten better. The podcast has gotten a little. All right, better. so now that we're at a year a year into this podcast, I think I have some news to break. Um, I realized over the past year that I don't think I've ever seen the first Home Alone from start to finish. <laughs> 
so we're we just not going to do Willy Wonka and we're just going to do the original Home Alone? <laughs> the, our one year anniversary right here. Uh, so, I mean, I, I, I've seen I've seen it. I've definitely seen like a good stretch of it. I've seen at least like the majority of it. But I, I, I the more and more I thought about it, like you just mentioned that like uh, whole Miami thing or whatever. I was like, I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah, that counts. That, ca- that totally counts. That totally yeah, counts. Yeah, that, that counts. So, uh, yeah, we, we uh, covered Home Alone 2 first, but now I'm going to go back and rewatch the original um, from start to finish. I mean, I've seen probably 75% of the movie. <laughs> okay, so doesn't count. Doesn't count by our rule set that we're making up on the fly. I think we said that in the first episode. It's like, oh, this is what the rules of the podcast are, but we can do whatever the <laughs> hell we want because it's our podcast. Yeah, I mean, if you want to listen to like our two-hour recording of like us talking about Home Alone and covering almost every detail plot by plot, then go ahead. It's still one of our most downloaded episodes. <laughs> Yeah, well, because I whenever you tell somebody and then they like scroll all the way down, like I've started telling people, be like, oh yeah, you want to check it out? Uh, like, check one of the recent ones. Don't check the early ones. You're not going to want to keep listening. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I would say I, I will keep them up there as we grow, so that way people can see how podcast how people can grow as podcasters. That like just because your first three episodes aren't great doesn't mean you can't end up making something great. Well, that's what it always is with almost every podcast you go back and listen to. The first few episodes are always kind of awkward. It's like the same thing with a TV show. The first season is usually one of the worst seasons, like Parks and Rec, for example. That's a brutal first season. Oh, my God. If I ever rewatch Parks and Rec, I'd never ever pulling that one up. That's for sure. I think I when I did my uh, watch of Parks and Rec, I just skipped the first season. I was like, I, I heard this is terrible. I don't need to see it. <laughs> There's like, like you can find all the funny clips on YouTube, but it was like they tried to make uh, Leslie Michael Scott, and that yeah. didn't work. Didn't didn't work. But even like first season, Michael Scott doesn't really work compared to what he ends up becoming in The Office. Yeah, so yeah, we're comparing ourselves to Parks and Rec in the office, so um, <laughs> yeah. we're right up there. We're 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 right up there for sure. <laughs> ah, are you ready, comedy partner? Waka waka. Tommy, would oh, it's a wonderful life work as a Muppet adaptation, or does it already exist as a Muppet Christmas Carol? Um, well, actually, not even the Muppet Christmas Carol, which great movie, but they apparently uh, in 2002. I haven't seen this one called. Uh, it's a very Muppet Christmas movie, and uh, in the movie. Kermit the Frog wishes that he had never been born, and then an angel shows him what his life would be like if he was never born. So they already did it. This is the first time I think we could say that they actually did the Muppet adaptation. So yes, <laughs> wow, that's a really short segment, huh? Uh, yeah, <laughs> not much we can riff off right there. But uh, I, if I remember, this is the one where uh, Miss Piggy is on the set of Scrubs for some reason because Scrubs was like in the pop culture at the time. <laughs> she was on the set of Scrubs. Okay, so but it took place in modern day. Yeah, it took place in modern day. So, like 2002, Scrubs was in the second season, and like she's there with like JD and Turk and everything like that. <laughs> That's weird, but I kind of want to watch it. Not going to lie. Yeah. yeah. So, it, it's probably on Disney Plus, like I imagine. I, or some shit. I think the whole Muppet, everything except for the Muppet show. Oh, no, they put the Muppet show on mm-hmm. Disney Plus. So, pretty much all the Muppet stuff that's ever been released is on Disney Plus. So, go watch the It's a Wonderful Life and the Muppets. Now, Tommy, roots review time. <laughs> I, I just give come me your out score. Here. To, give me your score to five. I just come here. How to? How? how just like a zero out of five. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. But uh, this is uh, honestly an amazing movie. Like I said, I usually don't like movies that like um, from you know the first stretch golden age of Hollywood because some of them just don't age well. Cinematography, acting, and stuff like that. But this one didn't have those issues whatsoever. The pacing still feels great. The the cinematography still feels great from a modern lens. 
and acting and everything. James Stewart's great. Lyle Barrymore is an all-time villain right here, um, you know, playing a Scrooge riff. Um, I think that the plot in general just really still holds up. And it's one of those things that this is why a movie still gets talked about over and over and over again, like 80 years later. So I'm going to go five out of five. There's very few cracks you can put in the hole in this movie. I would agree. Five out of five. It's the it's the ultimate Christmas movie, even though it's really not a Christmas movie. Uh, just mm. like the last 40 minutes take place on Christmas Eve. You know, it, it, it just reflects the themes of the season. And I think for it, this can be a very difficult time for people that are struggling. And a movie mm. like this can remind you that like you do have an impact on other people's life, mm. whether or not you're recognize it or not in that moment. And I think that's what makes this movie so powerful and why it still holds up and why it's on TV. Well, it's on TV every year because networks don't have to pay money to, to broadcast it, but it helps. It's also, (laughs) it also helps that it's a great movie because there's also a lot of public domain movies from that era that are trash that they don't air. Yeah. So to that credit, and I think five out of five, right, Tommy? Yeah. Five out of five. You know what that means, right? Call myself a cognac, and I watch the 14 fists of McCluskey. What a picture. What a picture. Good, good picture. It's a wonderful <laughs> life. An official stamp of approval from having seen it. The What a Picture Award. It's just yeah. it's one of those movies that if you really haven't seen it, I, I cannot recommend it enough for you to go sit down, watch it, and, and just like embrace it for what it is get over the first two minute clunkiness of the stars i guess that's like the only hole in it but yeah. once they introduce bailey like george bailey as a kid the movie just and takes it, off from and it gets slapped the fuck out of yeah dude that's what you could do back in the day you could you used to be able to hit kids you can't well anymore. i mean i mean not, not only was he like slapped in the film apparently he was slapped on set so hard that the fucking kid actor started bleeding and like the oh that and they kept, they kept they kept that tape they kept that tape because <laughs> his ear is literally bleeding his, his ears bleeding and the fucking actor who slapped him had to hug him afterwards and be like it's okay i'm sorry that i slapped you so fucking hard Jesus 40s were a different time <laughs> that's how my dad used to hit me back in 1837 <laughs> Seriously, so uh, I mean, yeah, but let's get five out of five. Is this like what the third? Uh, I think it's what a picture. Third. Yeah, I think it's one of those. Yeah, I, I we should keep track. If you listening have kept track, that would help us a lot because we're. I, I not noticed good the, at that. I noticed the thing is one of them, and the I think thing you did is, for the the Godfather, even though I gave Godfather four point five out of five, just to yeah. But I just did, I did I did I didn't. <laughs> like fuck you. I'm, I'm doing it anyways. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, we gave the we gave the Exorcist five out of five too. Yeah, we had four people. Yeah, but I believe one of them watched the extended cut. I can't remember who watched the extended cut, but one of them watched the extended cut, and he was like, "It's four out of five because the pacing was just a little too long for me." It's like, well, you watched the extended cut, man. Yeah, of course the pacing was too long. (laughs) Yeah, shout out to the Film versus Film podcast. So yeah, yeah. shout out Film versus Film podcast. We're gonna we're working on some additional collaboration with them for 2023 for season two of our podcast. Yeah. So one, get right. One more episode of season one left. Um, I know it's scheduled as Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, but it might have to be Home Alone. Uh, I mean, we'll, it we'll might see. have to, it might have to pivot. 
I, I mean, we could push uh, Willy Wonka to the first of the new year, but uh, yeah. regardless, uh, you know, thank you guys so much for listening. You can follow us on social media at SeenItPod. That's uh, Twitter, Instagram, um, and TikTok. And leave us a five-star review, Spotify, Apple, uh, wherever you get your podcast really helps us out. So and like we said, we're uh, debating now Home Alone or Willy Wonka. So you'll, we'll, you'll put out a tw- we'll put out a Twitter poll and you can vote on it for the episode but that's going to happen before this airs and then and then you're going to hear this and then try to vote and it's going to be closed because we're going to record it way before that but thank you all so much for listening i hope you and your families have a wonderful holiday season christmas hanukkah kwanzaa whatever you celebrate i hope you have a great holiday season merry christmas happy holidays we'll see you next time